0: through their investment in the minnesota corn checkoff corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all minnesotans the minnesota corn podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices identifying new markets and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public
1: our guest for this episode is tim Raditz, coordinator for discovery farms minnesota uh, tim let's start with an overview of discovery farms minnesota And uh, in particular, the Minnesota Agricultural Water Resource Center.
0: Right. Uh, So great question. So the Minnesota Agricultural Water Resource Center is a a nonprofit organization in Minnesota um, dedicated to assisting farmers with water quality um, challenges in the state, uh, comprised of many uh, producer and farmer groups throughout Minnesota. And so Discovery Farms. Minnesota is a program administered by the Minnesota Ag Water Resource Center. And what we do through Discovery Farms is we are a water quality research and educational program. We do water quality research on privately owned farms across Minnesota. And we focus in on on three key aspects of of, uh, conservation and water quality research, one being farmer leadership, we really want to get farmers involved in, in leading discussions on water quality issues. Um, and we do this in a number of ways. We're, we're farmer funded through the Minnesota Corn um, Research and Promotion Checkoff. Um, and we also are led by a steering committee comprised of farmers who actually you know, uh, select farms, select projects, identify areas of research needs. Second, um, Pillar would be credible research. Um, so we do uh, partner with the Minnesota Department of Ag to collect edge of field water quality research, um, and they're the, some of the leaders in Minnesota doing this this sort of work. Um, so our partnership with them really allows us to have a, a real high quality, unbiased data set that we can use in, in educating and communicating with farmers and conservationists across the state in terms of what we're learning. And the third part of our program would really be communicating those results. So not really just doing research and and not telling anybody about it, but um, doing the research and doing lots of meetings and podcasts and, and videos about what we're learning on the ground.
1: So much farmer involvement in the program. Was it farmers that started the program, or how did it begin?
0: Yeah, the program started in Wisconsin. Um, probably close to 25 years ago and primarily driven by farmers with the idea that we need to be testing um, the um, regulations or the uh, rules that are coming out in terms of practices that are being recommended to be put on the landscape. We need to be doing testing to make sure that those practices are, are working and doing what we think. And so it started in Wisconsin, um, you know, 25 years ago in Minnesota, we started the program around 2007 or 2008 um, with a big farmer push to start the program as well. He yeah, has uh, leaders from uh, the corn and soybean organizations, Farm Bureau, Farmers Union really helped push to get this program going in Minnesota.
1: Tim, how many farms does Discovery Farms Minnesota conduct continuous monitoring on, and, and where are these farms located?
0: So currently, we have uh, six locations that we're collecting data on um, throughout the state of Minnesota. Um, we have locations currently operating in Wright County, in or uh, excuse me, Wright County, McLeod County, and Redwood County. And then we just started projects in Stearns County and Wasika County. Um, so those are our current sites throughout the last 20 years or 15 to 20 years of data collection. We've been at 15 to 20 uh, farm locations across the state, ranging from northwest Minnesota down to southwest Minnesota and all the way over to southeast Minnesota. So we've really had a number of locations scattered throughout the farming Uh, Regions of Minnesota, looking at a number of different types of farms, whether it be corn, soybean, whether it be dairy or beef uh, operations, swine operations. We've had turkey farms we've worked on as well. So, really, a wide variety of farming operations and a wide variety of landscapes. and, And that's really what makes working for this program and working in the state of Minnesota so interesting for me personally is the the diversity of agriculture and the diversity of landscape.
1: What can you tell us about Discovery Farm's paired basin studies in Stearns and Redwood counties?
0: Sure. So those would be the uh, Stearns and Redwood. So Redwood County uh, was a site we started in 2017. And the idea behind these paired basin studies is to have two basins on the same field where we're doing monitoring, um, and we'll run each of the basins the same for a few years to get a baseline reading of what's happening between the two basins. And then we'll take a practice away or add a practice in on one of the basins so that we can specifically hone in on a certain practice to look at the water quality benefits of that practice as it is in the real world out in the landscape on real operating farms in Minnesota. So what we're looking at at both these sites in Stearns County and Redwood County is the, the impact of cover crops. Redwood County, um, it's a, a corn-soybean operation uh, where cover crops are are planted after harvest um, of that corn soybean. And we're looking at, now that we have a few years of baseline data, so we took cover crops away from one of the basins. So we'll be getting data on the impact of growing cover crops and reducing nitrogen, phosphorus, or sediment losses, either through surface water or tile.
1: Um, so we've been
0: the last two years we've had cover crops in one basin and not cover crops in the other basin at this Redwood County farm. Um, so we've been collecting data. Sort of the unfortunate or unfortunate thing of this research, or benefit of this research, is it's real world and we deal with real weather conditions. So while we had a real good setup um, to collect some real good data the last couple of years um, with the no cover crop versus cover crop, you know, the weather didn't really cooperate. We, we've we been, had some drought conditions, which really limits the amount of, of water that we're collecting, and really limits the amount of difference you can detect based on the very limited water that we've been seeing over the last uh, few years. And so I think we're still set up in a really good spot for that project to continue on. Our Stearns County location is more of a dairy forage rotation uh, where we have corn silage, wheat, and soybeans. And this, we just instrumented this year, this will be our first year of data collection in 2023. But I think it's a nice complement to that Redwood County location because of the dairy forage aspect and the ability to have, more time in the fall to get cover crops established with that corn silage crop and with that wheat crop where you're taking it off earlier, you have more growing season going into the fall um, to get those cover crops established. So in that project, it'll be a similar idea where we'll uh, monitor baseline conditions for a year or two till we get enough data and then we'll take cover crops away and that'll be the only thing we look at um, everything every other management aspect of the farm r- will remain the same. And it'll be interesting to see if we have a similar benefit compared to the Redwood County farm or if we have potentially more benefit um, because of that longer time frame in the fall and the ability to establish a uh, more diverse cover crop rotation and just get more growth. Um, because of the extended fall growing conditions
1: limited data so far but it's early with those studies i'm curious though tim with with over 15 years uh, that discovery farms has been monitoring data what have been some of the best ways identified as far as farmers reducing nitrate movement
0: uh, great question so um When we've been collecting data for the past 15 years, we've had a number of sites where we're collecting surface runoff uh, data and tile drainage data at the same spot from the same field. And what we've learned in comparing the two is that we see um, about three quarters of the water movement go through the tile compared to about a quarter of the water movement. That's actually surface water runoff in any given year. And these are averages over the long term. So in every any given year, it, it can vary, but these are averages. Um, and then we find that most of our soil loss, our sediment movement, comes through surface water runoff compared to tile drainage. Over 96% of our, our soil movement. So if we're, we're looking at ways to reduce soil loss, we want to focus on surface water runoff and things that um, can reduce surface water runoff. And then for phosphorus loss, uh, we also see a similar pattern where most of our phosphorus movement comes through surface water runoff, and on average, uh, that is about 86% over our long-term um, studies. So again, if we're looking to impact phosphorus movement, we're really going to want to focus on those surface runoff um, risks and how to how to really manage that surface runoff portion. And that surface runoff portion uh, can be managed with, uh, you know, keeping soil cover uh, either through uh, different crop growth or reduced tillage, keeping more residue on the surface, something to really protect that soil surface. So when we get these intense storm events in in the spring, those thunderstorm events where the raindrops have lots of energy and the ability to, to move soil we're providing some sort of um, surface protection for that, that soil focus. Now, if we're looking at nitrogen, um, this is where the story kind of flips. If we're looking at surface versus tile, we see uh, 83% of our nitrogen movement through the tile compared to the surface water runoff. So when we're looking at managing tile or managing nitrogen losses, we're really gonna wanna focus on that tile drainage aspect and that is the water that is infiltrating through the soil profile and moving down to the tile and moving off the field that way. And what we really have control over um, in those in those situations with tile drainage is the nitrate concentration of the water. Um, in general, uh, the amount of loss really is driven by the amount of flow. And the amount of flow in our tiles is really driven by rainfall and climatic uh, situation, but we can control the level of nitrate in that water with, uh, for our nutrient management practices. So really looking at uh, managing our nitrogen in terms of what we're applying, how much we're applying, what, uh, where we're applying it, and, and the product we're using. So those things can all really impact the amount of nitrate concentration in that soil water and in turn uh, impact the amount of nitrate concentration in the tile. So that is one thing we're really looking at is really honing down on nitrogen management practices to really um, apply what you need when you need it and when the crop is going to use it best. Another thing we're looking at in terms of managing tile nitrate would be the role of cover crops and those were the, the studies in Redwood County that I was talking about before. And in Searns County, where we're looking at what the ability of that cover crop to catch and trap nitrogen and hopefully prevent that movement through the tile system um, and, and leave more there for the crop. Another exciting project that we have just started this past year is looking at controlled drainage and we're doing this this study at uh farm america uh, by Wasitka. and the idea behind control drainage is is putting um, control structures on your tile drain system where you can add add boards to essentially back up water um so the idea behind it being we can drain when we want to drain like say during harvest or planting when we need to be out there and and doing uh management practices on the field we want to be able to drain so we can so we can get out in that field. But after that fact, after we get everything planted and maybe sprayed, we could um put some boards in these these structures and try to hold some water back during those those growing season, summer months for the crop to use. So this could have a benefit of twofold, being that we're reducing the amount of, of tile flow and limiting the amount of nitrogen movement with that reduction in tile flow but also hopefully saving some water where we can save it for the crop if we get some drier conditions in the summer months.
1: sort of building off of those strategies tim some farmers might be wrestling with how can they reduce nitrate loss without compromising yield
0: yeah i think that's imperative um and I think that that leads a lot to what we talk about for proper new, new nitrogen management in terms of the four R's. So we're looking at using the right source, right rate, right time, and right place. So when we're doing those practices and and um, doing the best practices practices for nutrient management, we're also going to be limiting the amount of nitrogen movement uh, to the tile lines. So sort sort of a dual benefit of doing proper nitrogen management is is not sacrificing yield while protecting water quality as well. The ability, when managed correctly, to not reduce yield and potential uh, reduction in nitrogen movement. And I also think the controlled drainage aspect, the project that we started at Farm America, will have the unique ability to maybe increase yield um, by saving some water and hopefully hopefully having some water later in the year where other fields might not. So potential increase in yield with the potential reduction in nitrogen uh, movement to the
1: tiles there. I think listeners would pick up on this through our conversation, the the importance that Discovery Farms sees in the collection of this on-farm data. So if you could... Summarize why it's important to continue collecting the data, Tim. And then also maybe speak to the impact that Discovery Farms Minnesota has had on the reduction of nutrient movement from Minnesota agriculture.
0: Sure. So I think it's important to collect this data. I think it's a very important data source because we do work in the real world looking at real conditions in terms of weather, real farming conditions not actually out there managing the field uh, and and directing how they're managed on on the places we're working at. It's all up to the farmer to just farm how they normally farm and what they would normally do. So I think what we're providing is a real um, real data set that that is very um, that other farmers can um, see and, and recognize that, you know, we're not controlling everything out there. We're dealing with with um, real climatic situations, real farmer situations, and people can relate to that data source. Um, so I think it's important to, to keep providing that data source. I also think we're seeing some changes in our climate and um, we'll continue to see that. And so I think it's important to continue monitoring how those changes in climate are impacting our water quality, and and the ways that they're impacting it, and if there's any um, if they're signal, signaling any changes in management that need to be really thought about based on the different types of rain events that we're having, based on the different uh, snow melts, winter conditions that we're having. I think it's important to provide that data source so people get a feel of what's actually happening on the landscape um, on real farms with real weather conditions. In terms of the impact that we've had um, on nutrients and sed- sediment issues in Minnesota, uh, we've done a, a ton of uh, outreach and education, whether it be through presentations, meetings, uh videos, to get the word out about what we're doing, what we're collecting, the practices that we're seeing that work, the practices that we're seeing that might not work um, as well as we thought, and just continuing that education and outreach effort so that we can reach more farmers and more uh, people involved in the water quality realm um, to really get a more accurate handle of what's happening in Minnesota. I think we've also worked with a lot of researchers, um, whether it be uh, university or agency reach researchers, and looking at um, calibrating water quality models, validating water quality models, looking at different specific uh, practices in terms of, you know, them publishing papers on uh, different agronomic practices, them utilizing this data. I think it's been a huge data source. Um, for those that that are really interested in in water quality, and water quality professionals.
1: Tim, in closing, any recommendations that you have for farmers this spring in terms of nitrogen applications?
0: Um, in terms of nitrogen applications this spring, I, I think a lot of the the nitrogen management decisions have already been made. Uh, typically, uh, those are planned on through the from the fall through the spring over winter time. So, in general, um, we recommend, you know, again, leaning back on those four R's. Know your right source, apply at your right rate, apply at the right time. Spring can be a great time to apply nitrogen um, because it is uh, closer to when the crop may need it. Um, so, if you can apply in the springtime, in general, you might have better success uh, compared to, to fall and some other times. But, um, just knowing knowing your product knowing your rate knowing your your timing of application and placing those in the correct spots within the soil is all imperative to uh a successful crop a successful uh uh water quality situation just uh continuing and in moving and and improving in our management as we as we learn what is better
1: and we're speaking on behalf of the Minnesota corn growers today, and I'd be remiss to not ask about their involvement, their support of Discovery Farms Minnesota and, and why they felt it was important for this conversation to be had.
0: Sure. Uh, well, they are, are a huge supporter of our program. And uh, so primarily through funding, um, funding from our program comes from a few different sources um, with Min- uh, the Minnesota corn uh, growers being a major part of that. Um, we also get funding through the state through the clean water and legacy amendment, land and legacy amendment. Um, so that allows our partnership with the Department of Ag. Um, they provide, uh, equipment for our program and staff time to actually run, run the equipment, make sure everything's running smoothly. But with the clean water, land and legacy, uh, Funds and funds from the corn growers. Those are our, our two main, uh, funding sources. We also, you know, apply for competitive, uh, federal, federal grants, which we've received some, but really the corn funding is a backbone of our program and something that allows us to continue collecting this, uh, water quality data that really helps farmers understand what's happening in the real world in terms of uh, soil, or, uh, surface and, and tile uh, water movement at the edge of the field, and in terms of what practices are actually you know, helping maintain yields, but also reducing our, our water quality impact.
1: To learn more about investments by Minnesota Corn, visit mncorn.org.